When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose. Joining me today for The Bigger Picture, political commentator Mike Indian, author of the Gracho Tendency blog. Um, Mike, a fortnight ago when we spoke, we were talking about the Tory leadership contest. We are still talking about it, and I suspect we're going to talk about it until early September. Um when when actually is it finished? It's about the September, the beginning of September, isn't it? That finally, Sept- yeah, the fifth of September is when we'll know who our next prime minister why is does going it, to be. Why did it take so long? I mean, they they telescope the MPs voting, so that that's all happening mm. pretty quickly. Why did it take so long to get the members to vote? Well, it's that's the great question, isn't it? And it it still happens, I would argue, quicker than the the Labour. The Labour leadership like races happen, but that doesn't mean to say that people should be thankful. Uh, we, we've gone in the space of a, a fortnight, I think, because we were speaking last mm. time as Boris Johnson's government came crashing down around his ears, his political career along with it for now. Uh, mm. In the last two weeks, we've had a frenetic campaign with as many as 12 leadership contenders being whittled down to two. It, now it feels for the next five weeks like we're going to be wading through treacle as the Tory membership get to vote. And they get, I've only discovered this morning, so that the, the selection process means that the final two candidates, uh, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, will be voted on by 200,000 as uh, at most uh, mm. Tory uh, members. They get a postal vote and an online vote, and they get to vote effectively twice. Because if they change their mind, the second vote is the one that counts. So, it will. There's a, there's a lot of potential movement in the contest for to come for who's going to succeed Boris Johnson inside number ten. Simon. That's slightly bizarre. You change change your mind on the vote. So, um, and I think I read somewhere that the, the people's vote early. Some of the hustings are going to be too late for them to change their mind. Well, yes, I mean, there is going to be some sort of, there's going to be a magical mystery tour across the country in various conservative associations, town halls. Let's just touch on the electorate for a second here. By this, I mean the selectorate. The Tory membership uh, research shows they are predominantly uh, white. They predominantly live in southern England, predominantly older people as well, predominantly likely to be men. So we're not talking about a representative uh, sample of the population it will be fascinating to see. There are two televised debates due to take place. Mm. Uh, we are speaking the day after the final two were announced. Uh, it's, it's, it's fair to say, actually, that a fortnight ago, we didn't really have a clue who would be in the final two, although Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss were, were seen to be likely front runners. Uh, there was a point in time when most of the people who were putting their names forward, with a few exceptions, Suella Braveman, Raymond Chishti, were not in contention mm. but the the process this is the third time the Tories have changed leader since uh, 2010 it's the third time since 2016 and it's the second time the Tory membership will be choosing them and this is probably as I said at the time 
uh, when Boris Johnson announced his resignation, the most wide open the contest has been arguably since David Cameron uh, became Tory leader in 2005. Mm. Yes, you were very impressive last time because we were actually recording it as Boris's uh, resignation speech was taking place. You were not only imagining to talk to me, but also analyse what he was <laughs> saying. Uh, I was very, very impressed with that. Um, and what about you were talking about the electorate being mainly predominantly male and, and white, but uh, that was a pretty fair spread of um, candidates, wasn't there? There was. Um, yeah. Certainly what they weren't all white males. No, and I think one of the nice things about this election is actually that the Conservative Party has been able to field a diverse range of candidates. I mean, the one thing that is certain, a point that was certainly did the rounds once we knew, uh, once we've known this since Monday, when the last white man in the contest, Tom Tugendhat, was eliminated, that the next Prime Minister of the country will either be someone from an ethnic minority or a woman. Uh, there, was one, there was one ethnic minority woman left in the contest, Kemi Badenoch, she mm. was eliminated. But the Tories have certainly made a virtue of their the fact that their, their contest will either give us the first Baden Prime Minister or the third woman Prime Minister as well. I'm always inclined to think that it's the individual we should we should focus on, but mm. equally it, it, would, it will present a challenge for Labour Last time around, Labour had four women in the final contest, and yet Keir Starmer was the overwhelming favourite. But uh, I think it's best if we fo- if it's better if we focus on the the policies and the personalities of yes. the candidates rather yeah, than their background. We, before we talk about the two who are still in contention, um, what did you think about those who sort of fell by the wayside? Were there any that you felt perhaps deserved to go further? And I certainly, think- of course, I don't imagine that the two who have been chosen necessarily would have been the two that many of the Conservative voters would necessarily want to have been the final two. Weren't we told by polls that Penny Mordaunt was was pretty impressive for a while? And, well, uh, I think what I would say was that although there was a lot of all the reasons that Boris Johnson hung on for so long was the fact that we could say there, were, there, weren't, there wasn't an obvious person to succeed him. I would yes. argue, actually, in this in this case, it was actually there were any number of people who could succeed. And I said that all along, mm-hmm. just because there wasn't a standout success, it didn't mean there wasn't there wasn't plenty of people with ambition to be prime minister. The, the question of, of ability is one that we'll touch on later on. I think the, what we did see quite extraordinary was a big generational shift first and foremost. So the 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 with the exception of Liz Trust, the establishment candidates in the form of Jeremy Hunt went out very early on. Sajid Javid exited very, very quickly. Ben Wallace, the grassroots member favourite, Defence Secretary, didn't even throw his hat into the ring. He's been connected with the uh, the head of the NATO job that's coming up in the autumn, so he could be holding out for that. Nadim Zahawi, the Chancellor of, of only a few days at that point in time, also exited the contest quite quickly. Mm. I think actually, by the time we got down to the final five, there were some interesting ones. And uh, I watched the, because I'm a sad so-and-so, I watched the TV debates over the weekend with my partner and we, mm. we swapped notes on who we thought was best. Tom Tugendhat did very well in this at all. I think speaking to a, a contact inside the Conservative Party just before I came on here, they they came from a, a Tugendhat backing camp and they felt he was the most impressive candidate. And certainly he was the one who was pitching the freshest start, the cleanest break with the Johnson administration. And uh, certainly Tom Tugan, I think, had the best analysis of the fact that the Tories hadn't really delivered on what they promised. And the, the surrealist perspective we saw was individuals who had, with the exception of him, who had been at one point or another in the Johnson government, 
arguing over certain points. I would say there were trivialities in the contest, but individuals like Kemi Badenoch did actually set out an interesting stall as well. Mm. And Penny Morden, you mentioned there, had by far and away the, sort of the smoothest launch. She she emerged quite quickly as the sort of favourite of the media of of the of the media in that sense. But she equally, uh, I'm not so, so sure she should have she should have progressed because there was a lot that was briefed out about her about her attitude to work, about her lack of attention to detail, and given how Boris Johnson has has been governing, I think I, I would be wary about having another. PR light on detail prime yes, minister yes, going yes. into this contest as well but I certainly think that there were a number of interesting uh, individuals who emerged and uh, whoever it, it, it's almost disappointing in the sense that um, the two that we ended up with were selected now it, it always was going to be Sunak in a way but he hasn't enjoyed the commanding lead to give Liz Truss credit she did improve as the contest went along, but she has by no means set the electoral light. But what she has done is in very canny behind the, the scenes positioning. But essentially, we've ended up with two people who've been in two senior cabinet positions for a good chunk of the Johnson mm. administration, his, his chancellor for most of his time and his foreign secretary, who is obviously still in the cabinet. Yeah. So I would say of the the ones that fell by the wayside, I was sorriest to see Penny Moore not make it to the final two in terms of, uh, I think she she actually captured a fair few people's imaginations, Kemi Badenoch as well, and but more disappointed that it was Liz Truss that got through because I think there were better people who were better positioned to take on Sunak than she yeah. was. And we have this odd situation where those MPs who seem still massively in favour of, of Brexit are now supporting somebody who was Remain. And the Remainers all seem to be keen on um, Sunak, who was a Brexiteer. Have I got that wrong? Well, the Liz Truss has been on a very interesting political journey, and she is she has won the backing of the the Brexit wing of mm. the Conservative Party, the ERG, and this is why ultimately she overtook Penny Morton, who actually was a Brexiteer. This is a point at which how you your past views really don't really seem to matter now. People, you know, she, she won the endorsement of Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nadine Doris, uh, Steve Baker, by extension, because she was seen to be the the champion of of the government that delivered Brexit, not because mm-hmm. of her past positions. We mustn't forget, though, and it's now become it's been discussed on Twitter for weeks. But Newsnight had it the other night. Liz Truss was at one point a Liberal Democrat, and she can be seen at a 1994 Lib Dem conference arguing for the abolition of the monarchy, which is quite an extraordinary thing now that she's clothed herself very much in the, in the garb of, of the late Baroness Thatcher. Liz, Liz Truss is someone who is a political chameleon. She's flirted with libertarianism, but now she's advocating Reaganite tax cuts as well. At least in Rishi Sunak, we have a known quantity in the sense yes. that he is a Thatcherite in his economics. He does. He is actually. He is actually grounded more in the sort of sound money orthodoxy that tends to imbue the treasury as well, which will probably, I'd argue, count against him alongside the role that he played in Boris Johnson's mm. downfall. But Liz Truss, I think, is is somebody that I don't know many people who think she would be a good prime minister, even within the Conservative Party. If I'm honest, and the. Uh, the backing that she's won, I would argue, coming through from a very weak third to a squeaking to second place over Penny Mordaunt was partly due to the fact that Mordaunt did not court her fellow MPs very well. You could see the lack of rapport between her and the other leadership contenders on the stage. 
on the Sunday debate, uh, Kemi Badenhock, who was effectively the queen maker for whoever would come in second mm. place, said, I would give you the benefit of the doubt, but I don't know you that well. She didn't have many cabinet heavy hitters behind her. She eventually set out to annoy a lot of people, but essentially put a ceiling on her support of around a third of the parliamentary party. Mm. And it meant that those who actually did share Ms. Morden's Brexit credentials were more inclined to row in behind the foreign mm. secretary than behind somebody they felt was attacking the man who they had felt had delivered Brexit, which is Boris Johnson. Yes. Okay, time for us uh, to talk a little bit about Boris. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm talking to Mike Indian, political commentator, author of the Groucho Tennessee blog. Now, last time you got interested in talking about whether Boris would go quietly into the, the sunset, um, we've had his final um, uh, parliamentary questions. So what happened? Was he uh, like a dog with a tail between his legs or not? Uh, I think as if he ever is as if you yeah well I was going to say Simon you're, you you are you are normally you know your your questioning style is normally masculine in this case I think we can probably both guess the <laughs> the outcome but the, the prime minister has has been nothing short of um, pushing back against his uh, the manner of his departure he's very much channeling Margaret Thatcher rather than John Major in the sense that he he clearly believes he has been defenestrated from office far too soon and well before he he said in his closing remarks yesterday in prime minister's questions mission largely accomplished for now he's thinly veiling he'll be back a la donald mm. trump i mean anyone could have predicted this if it wasn't for the rules the territory leadership election that ban him from standing in the leadership contest after he's been removed from office he'd be running again as, as major did in, in 1995 to try and win think- the backing of the membership do you think the Tories will actually regret getting rid of him? Or do we need to wait and see both who wins and how they actually manage the office? Uh, okay, I, I came up with a very crude analogy for this earlier in my head, so I want to try this out. So this, the context is that I'm going to be doing some personal training and fitness is on my mind over the summer. So you can imagine that Boris Johnson is like having a pint at lunchtime. It seems like a great idea. You know, you have a pint at lunchtime, you get that slight buzz for it, mm. and, you know, and then the next day you might have another pint at lunchtime and another pint at lunchtime. But before you know it, three years later, you're fat, you're poor, and you're unable, you know, your health's been yes. damaged irreparably. And that's argue what I like. That's fine. You know, it's something you might do for a bit of fun. But the three part essentially, Boris, they've been, they, they call him the Heineken Tory for a reason. You know, he, he's quite quaffable, but in large amounts, he's, he's overindulgent. He's very bad for him and bad for the party and bad for the country. The trouble is, though, if we're about to go on a, a correction regime now, you know, if you think about this leadership contender, you know, it's good, whoever it is, is going to be the equivalent of going on a fitness regime, mm. getting the Tory party off its sort of you know, hook on Boris. After a while, there'll be as little lapses in judgment where as much as you know that having, you know, a pint at lunchtime isn't really good for you. This this is how I would think Boris Johnson would be viewed by the Tory party, that there will, there will be some difficult times ahead. And to be honest, they're not expecting to make games at the next election. They're, they're, you know, to win a fifth term in office is unprecedented. To win a fifth general election in the row that yeah. hasn't been done in over 100 years, arguably since the 19th century, I think since Lord Liverpool 
was in office here. It certainly hasn't done in the mass franchise era. I mean, Harold Wilson's the, the what the Prime Minister of Modern has won the most elections, and even then, he those weren't consecutive terms. Thatcher and Blair only won three yeah. elections, and both of them were gotten rid of before they could run for a fourth. Even the Blair says he thinks he could have won one, and I argue that Blair probably could have. The difference with Johnson is that he clearly feels that there's an appetite for him to come back. And the cynical interpretation of the way Liz Truss has emerged as the second candidate, because don't forget, unlike previous recent Tory leadership elections, the MP vote has been largely split equally between the three candidates. All of them got over 100 votes. Mm-hmm. Sunak got 130 odd, then it was Truss. There's only six, eight votes between her and Morden. So this, this, there isn't a clear favourite with the parliamentary party even. So clearly, even the parliamentary party who got rid of Johnson weren't sure who they wanted to succeed him. And there is going to be a point where the difficult decisions are coming down the line with cost of living, with potential for stagflation, but with the recession on the horizon. The theory is that Listras only emerged because Johnson's allies think she'll implode and then their man can try and come back down the line. And we've seen this happen in other countries. We've seen it happen with the late Shinzo Abe in Japan, where he emerged again in his party. Kevin Rudd did it in Australia. But that kind of infighting is arguably quite dangerous. I'd say that if it's Liz Trust, there's more of a probably a, perhaps a sexist view that maybe she might implode. Dominic Cummings calls it a human hand grenade, but she's certainly got a history of odd pronouncements and PR focuses. And if anyone wants a good example of this, go back and watch her 2014 conference speech as environment secretary, where she delivers this utterly bizarre speech about pork markets. It's, it's well worth a few minutes of your time to give them a sense of what she's like as a performer. Mm. She's also promising these economically illiterate tax cuts at a time. And you know, we've had Chris Giles, who's the FT's economics editor today, tweeting about this, saying that, you know, basically the claims that she's making around it, that it will be reduce uh, inflation, it will prevent boost growth and prevent recession and increase government revenues he says that for this to work, for what he calls trussonomics to work, there would have to be, in quote, lots of spare capacity at a time of when there's low unemployment and record job vacancies and supply side effects of tax changes would have to outweigh demand effects. He describes this as highly unlikely. Now, I'm of the person that thinks at the moment tax cuts in the short term would only drive inflation further up. Trust is taking money out of the NHS already through 36 billion. She said that tax plan would cost 38 billion pounds. At least with Sunak, he is being the grown up in the room admitting he can't t- cut taxes in, in the short yeah. term. And I, I, th- I think that, to, again, to go back to what Chris Giles said, tr- trustonomics would involve changing the field of economic, ch- changing economic institutions for the experiment to be tried. It couldn't just be done in context. It would take something akin to the monetarist experiment that Thatcher tried to do and succeeded in doing in the in the early 80s because we know that although there were casualties the monetarism did produce a British economy that was successful for 20 30 40 years uh, although we they're looking back again for the answers both of them are looking back rather than for and I yes. would say that different decisions are needed and these are partly fiscal partly monetary and we all when you and I both know that the real reason for this huge rate of inflation has been driven as, as as you are better informed than I am, Simon, about the monetary policy decisions of quantitative easing and other things like that, pushing money into the economy as well. So, but just to promise tax cuts and assume that these will be the issue is economic yeah. fantasy, effectively. Especially if, as we expect, the Bank of England is going to 
push interest rates up even higher as the money supply okay. is shrinking. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes, it's not getting into the Bank of England at the moment. Um, are you slightly dismayed about how long this is taking? When you talked about the cost of living crisis, we've obviously got the war in you, 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 Ukraine. I mean, there are many things that a, a government perhaps ought to be concentrating on at the moment and deciding who is the leader of the party might not be considered by many people to be as important. Um, and it's not until the beginning of September that we know who it's going to be. You say it's quicker than Labour, but then it's not often that we get the contest while the government's actually needed to, to govern. I, I, If I'm honest, I long for the days that the Tory, mem- the Tory MPs chose the Prime Minister. I think actually, given it has to be a member of the Parliamentary Party, that their peers are a parliamentary democracy, I think it's actually fairer to allow the MPs who've been sent there with a mandate, at least from their constituents, to choose the party leader. Mm. And it also holds them more accountable. I think arguably we wouldn't have ended up with Boris Johnson uh, had the MPs not felt the membership wanted him because he didn't have those alliances. I think actually it encourages them to look to their colleagues to be more collegiate in operation. It's yes, a relatively it, recent innovation. Was it Major who introduced it? Yeah, it was 2001. It came in and it gave us Ian Duncan Smith. It gave us um, it gave us David Cameron. It gave us um, it didn't give us Theresa May. She was elected by the MPs, mm. but the membership. I don't think it's right midterm because it should be the members of parliament. I think maybe if the Tories are in opposition, they could justify it. I think mm. they could, you know, because I think then, you know, the party's the party's out of government. But if they're in government, and you think back to 1976 when Harold Wilson retired, you had so many huge figures running in that Labour leadership contest to replace it: James Callaghan, Tony Crossland, you had Tony Benn and they were all individuals who had experience of government and the parliamentary party was i think better place to choose it and i don't think it's undemocratic to say that yes. at this point in time but certainly when johnson said there'll be no new policy decisions to taken before the end of uh, his time in office and so we've got a summer of, of, of the, the prime minister effectively going around in fighter jets being photographed mm-hmm. whereas the the current there, there are clearly policy prescriptions that need to be undertaken now and cost of living pressures that have to be addressed and yes there will be an emergency budget but whoever's the chancellor and the prime minister will have some form of they'll have to do it very quickly when they come into office yes and yes. i'm not sure that's going to give us the best outcomes if i'm honest so where does all this leave um labor well, it's undoubtedly a win for Keir Starmer, and I think he should be given the credit. The same way that Jeremy Corbyn saw off three different prime ministers, yeah, another leader of the opposition seen off another uh, unelected Tory prime minister in a way. I mean, I mean, Corbyn, Corbyn saw Corbyn was there for Cameron and May and Johnson, and Starmer has managed to get rid of Boris Johnson. There is a, there is a, there is a again talking to people I know who are on the Labour side of things. There's a a certain sense, and this is Alistair Campbell included, that Liz Truss would be the better bet for Labour, that they they seem to think that she's slightly more eccentric and would make more of a mistake Mm. in the short term. What I'm not sure about is where this leaves Labour in the the medium term and the run-up to the next election, because there is every chance that there... A another Johnson still did win a massive majority for all of his faults, and he, he's got that to fall back on. 
the Tories will, I think, in the same way that the, at the end of office, both at the previous long periods of post-war government they've had in 1962 to four, and then in 1992 to five, there'll be the long period of infighting. Mm-hmm. You can expect people like Nadine Doris will be, as one person I know in the Tory party gleefully told me the other day, to be criticising whoever follows him, throwing brick bats, mm-hmm. and they'll have to make some unpopular decisions. But I think that the, the better bet for the country would be Rishi Sunak in the short term. For Labour, perhaps it would be Liz Trust. But in the, in the long run, Labour, Labour are going to have to start coming out with some alternative pronouncements. And Keir Starmer has been able to enjoy discrediting Johnson and running on the integrity thing as well. They're going to have, to have some answers to the cost of living now. And there are still big questions for Labour on issues like tax and how to deal with inflation. And don't forget, the last time there was a Labour government in office uh, during high inflation, it ruined them for 18 years and they were out of office for that length of time. So Starmer needs to find his pitch that for Wilson in, well, for, for Attlee in 45, it was the NHS and post-war recovery. Wilson in 64, it was modernity. In Blair, it was new Labour, education, education, education. Starmer has to find that message that's going to propel him into office. And he's got a mountain to climb, a far bigger mountain than any of his other leaders had to climb to get into power. I mean, the cost of living crisis is something politicians seem to have woken up to, but we've had um, new figures just this week showing inflation still continues to rise. I mean, economists are divided over when it might subside. Um, And in theory, with the price of Brent now back at the level it was when the war in Ukraine started, we should see prices of the pump coming back down, but they always go down rather more slowly than they they go up. Um, So what can and should be be done? I mean, most people are now certainly feeling the pinch. It's not just this country, but we do seem to have it rather worse than many. Without... I think I could speak from this from a political standpoint rather than a an economic mm. standpoint. But certainly, prioritising tax cuts is is daft. I would say, especially at a time when people are going to be seeing their pay package shrink. I think actually the solutions that have come out of the Treasury, and this is this is me praising the officials rather than the Chancellor here, of the targeted support packages that have gone to the lowest income households are a good thing. But I think for many middle income earners, there's simply going to have to be a realisation that tightening belts, for those of us who have income to be able to do that, Mm. are just going to have to do it. And the the government should focus on providing cash support to those people, particularly on things like energy bills in the short term. And in the long term, looking at in detail at energy market reform is a key idea, energy security, prioritizing tax cuts at this time will only drive prices further up. And at this point, whoever's prime minister is going to have to walk a very fine line between negotiating a series of complex settlements, pay settlements to the public sector that are going to be well below the headline rate of inflation, but well above where they've been. Inflation, as we know, Simon, is a tricky beast to slay, and it will it will take some very courageous decisions ride it out and it may be that we're going to take two i'm thinking ted heath in 1974 here on the who governs point but in the long term i think the targeted support packages for those who are on the lowest incomes are where the money needs to be directed instead of spending 38 million pounds on tax cuts that will simply drive up prices as we saw when rishi sunak cut fuel duty prices rose the following day so the tax cut was essentially meaningless 
Mike, thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to Mike Indian, political commentator, author of The Groucho Tendency blog. Um, Mike will be back talking to me in a fortnight's time. Uh, that's it, though, from The Bigger Picture. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.